This podcast does not provide medical nor legal advice. Please listen to the complete disclosure at the end of the recording. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyone Dies, the podcast where we talk about serious illness, dying, death, and bereavement. I'm Marianne Matzo, a nurse practitioner. I use my experience from working as a nurse for 45 years to help answer your questions about what happens at the end of life. And I'm Charlie Navarrete, an actor in New York City, and here to offer an every-person viewpoint to our podcast. We are both here because we believe that the more you know, the better prepared you are to make difficult decisions before you're in a crisis. So, welcome to this week's show. Please relax, get yourself something hot and comforting to drink. Mm. Some pie. Pie. Pie is always a good idea. Mm -hmm. And thank you for spending the next hour with Charlie and me for our discussion about what Jimmy and Rosalind Carter have modeled for our country regarding dying with hospice support. Like the BBC, we see our show as offering entertainment, enlightenment, and education. We divide it into three halves to address each of these goals and are very serious during the second half, which focuses on our educational topic of the week. The other two halves may have more chit-chat and frivolity, but feel free to fast-forward if you're not into fun. Well, <laughs> but, at least but, but, we but don't feel it. too free, because if I'm discussing something about a cocktail, you, you will want to sit in and listen to that, folks. I'm sorry, Marianne, what else? <laughs> I, think mo- I think most people do, Charlie, but, you know, there's always some people who just want the facts, I ma'am. I know I do. <laughs> so, for the first half of this week, mm-hmm. uh, I have the recipe of the week and a look at Mrs. Carter's work in caregiving. In the second half, Charlie reports about President Carter's hospice care. And in the third half, I will talk about lessons that we've learned from President and Mrs. Carter during their end of life. Our recipe this week is from Rosalind Carter. The plain special cheese ring is a fair representation of many cookbook recipes found during the Carter's prime political years of the 60s and 70s. Scoops of mayonnaise, cheese, some vague measurements, and lots and lots of love. Former First Lady Rosalind Carter was known as a humanitarian, mental health advocate, and devoted partner to her husband, former President Jimmy Carter. To her family, however, she was a wonderful mother and caregiver, always ready to feed and keep charge of her four children, and later her grandchildren and great-grandchildren. In fact, during her memorial services, her family recounted the time the Plains Georgian native brought pimento cheese and bread on an Air Force One flight to feed people. So taking care of people is something that Mrs. Carter was known for. The Washington Post reported that a key focus of her life's work was to honor those who helped the sick and elderly. She often spoke about the emotional toll of caring for and surviving a loved one. Rosalind was devastated when her father got leukemia and died when she was just 13. As the eldest child of four, she sold eggs to help support the family. She also helped her mother, who needed to work, care for the younger brothers and sisters. Mrs. Carter said that there were only four types of people, those who have caregivers, those who are now caregivers, those who will be caregivers, 
and those who will need caregiving themselves. The Rosalind Carter Institute for Caregivers, which she founded in 1987, supports family members and others who take care of those who are unable to function alone. She called caregivers the backbone of the nation's community health care system and said that too often that went unrecognized for the vital work that they do. The Carters were caregivers to each other at the end of their lives, sitting together on their couch and holding hands so that neither of them felt lost. Hmm. Yeah, that's the thing I've always admired about um, Mr. and Mrs. Carter. Uh, you know, after... Um, um, after you know President Carter's uh, term in office, they just devoted themselves just to helping other people. Um, what is it? Mm. What, what was the name of the organization Mr. Carter did where they oh. went to build houses? Um, Habitat for Humanity. There you are, Habitat. You know, it was never about being in in the limelight. It was just simply going about their lives. Yeah. Just, yeah. It's absolutely wonderful, these two people. Just, I always yeah. thought that he was a far better former president than actual president. Oh, I, I agree. I agree, yes. As I kind of delved into his life for this writing this show, there were a lot of things that he had done that I didn't remember having been done. So he's you know, made his contributions, too. Absolutely. And that was the thing. It, w it was not about, oh, look what I did. Rather, just moving on, moving forward, doing what needed to be done. And, you know, the, especially like with Habitat for Humanity and, you know, Mrs. Carter's work, um, it, it, it was about the work. It wasn't about, oh, look mm -hmm. what I'm doing to show off or to get publicity. It was to get publicity sometimes for their work. Not about themselves, which is very refreshing. We're, you know, yes, it's, it's rare. Absolutely. So, folks, please go to our webpage for this week's recipe of Mrs. Carter's The Plain Special and additional resources for this program. Your tax deductible donations are always welcome so that we can continue to offer you quality programming. Thank you in advance for making your donation at www.everyonedies.com. Org. That's every, the number one, dies.org. Marianne? In our second half, in February 2023, when former President Jimmy Carter entered hospice care, he said he would no longer go to the hospital for any treatment because the trips away were too hard on Rosalind. He wanted them to be together. The former peanut farmer, Georgia governor, and 39th president from 1977 to 1981 had been in ill health for several years, suffering falls and skin cancer melanoma, which spread to his liver and brain. I obviously prayed about it, he said in 2019, about his cancer diagnosis four years before. I didn't ask God to let me live. But I just asked God to give me a proper attitude toward death, and I found that I was absolutely and completely at ease with death. It didn't really matter to me whether I died or lived. Former First Lady Rosalind Carter died on November 19, 2023, 
two days after the Carter Center announced she would be entering hospice with a diagnosis of end-stage dementia. The Carters demonstrate that hospice support can last a couple of days, or in the case of Mr. Carter, and at the time of this recording, 11 months and still counting. Seven months after his admission to hospice and a few days before he turned 99, parade attendees of the annual Plains Peanut Festival got a surprise when the Carters rode by in a black Chevy Suburban driven by a Secret Service agent in Plains, Georgia. Mr. Carter looked frail as he rode past the festival crowd with Rosalind. He held her hand in the back seat of the SUV as she waved to the crowd. He could no longer climb the steps to a balcony overlooking the annual Plains Peanut Festival. Son Chip Carter stated, He told me he has been successful at everything in life, but he can't figure out how to die. As reported by NPR, Many assumed that President Carter's announcement that he decided to spend his remaining time at home with his family and receive hospice care instead of additional medical intervention meant that he would die soon. Contrary to popular belief, hospice care isn't only for people who have just a few days to live. While death is a part of life, decisions surrounding death can often be difficult. Hospice which is for patients who are in the last phases of their incurable disease, is one option. Every year, about 1.7 million Medicare recipients receive this type of specialized health care. Hope Health President and CEO Diana Franchito reports in the Rhode Island Current that Mr. Carter's long run on hospice spotlights a surprising truth. Some patients actually live longer on hospice. Several landmark studies back up these personal observations with research, including a 2007 report in the Journal of Pain and Symptom Management and a 2018 report in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology, Heart Failure. These studies offer several theories for why patients may live longer on hospice than if they had remained on curative-focused care. In general, it comes down to this. Hospice offers extra support at a time when it often matters most. As part of his hospice care, Mr. Carter has had access to experts who can help with difficult medical decisions and coordinate between all his doctors. All of these services are available to every patient and family on hospice, not just former presidents, Ms. Franz Chitto writes. Whether it lasts months, weeks, or days, the value of this type of care is that it helps us fill our final chapter with comfort, hope, and meaning. Another question in the dying journey towards death, is there really no place like home when it comes to where Americans die? From the New England Journal of Medicine, in the United States, we tend to believe that someone who died peacefully at home surrounded by family, has had a good death. This is ingrained in our cultural and social history. Patient surveys have revealed a general preference for home death. Reality diverges from this scenario. Unprepared family caregivers are routinely tasked with managing distressing symptoms, including pain, agitation, and difficulty breathing, 
administering medications, and providing intimate personal care, including bathing and toileting assistance to bedbound patients. In other care settings, these tasks are performed by trained clinicians. As death nears and the realities of dying at home sink in, patient and family preferences for home death can change rapidly. Many physicians assert that a hospital death isn't in keeping with high quality, end of life, and recommend home death instead. But palliative care clinicians and others have begun to question this approach. What is needed, they argue, is high-quality, end-of-life care that aligns with individual goals and needs. Alternative locations for death, such as freestanding inpatient hospice facilities and skilled nursing facilities, can provide around-the-clock nursing and personal care that is particularly critical for certain physically and emotionally burdensome end-of-life needs. Hospital-based palliative care has grown substantially over the past 20 years, although there are disparities in access. The New England Journal of Medicine states that, in addition to the belief that there's no place like home, financial incentives, including insurers, hospital and hospice agency administrators, clinicians, patients, and families, view home as a one-size-fits-all destination for death. While not considering individualized and unpredictable needs, home deaths tend to reduce health care costs by averting expensive hospital stays and transferring costs to families who become unpaid caregivers and pay for services and bills out of their own pockets. Insurance companies and other payers of aware of this, often discourage hospital death. Hospitals, therefore, have an incentive to discharge patients quickly. Hospitals are also often subject to quality measurement programs that create indirect incentives for home death. Home is often the quickest and easiest discharge destination. Hospice agencies also face financial incentives that favor home death. Medicare's general inpatient hospice provision pays hospices roughly $1,000 per day to cover inpatient hospice care, but eligibility is restrictive. With inpatient care, hospices pay for around-the-clock nurses and aides. With home care, they can maintain lower nurse-to-patient staffing ratios and provide relatively few hours of home health aid services relying instead on unpaid family caregiving, family-financed out-of-pocket spendings, or Medicaid payments for low-income patients. For some patients and families, there is no place like home at the end of life. For others, a hospital, nursing facility, or inpatient hospital facility where staff can manage symptoms and provide personal care, thereby enabling families to be families and maximize quality time together may be the best place for a good death. Marianne? And so Jimmy Carter is is still at home mm-hmm. as of this recording. And uh, is it the plan that Jimmy Carter is going to stay at home for to die? 
Um, that is my understanding. Yeah, I haven't I haven't heard yeah. or read read anything else. But yeah, he'll, he'll just basically you know die die at home. You know, surrounded by his family. Yes, that's the way to go. It is. Yeah. But yeah, but the well, point of it is, I mean, you know, the, the Carters obviously you know have the financial means for that. Um, and not everyone does. And, you know, like this thing says from the New England Journal of Medicine, people just, I, yes, it's wonderful to be, you know, at home and surrounded by your loved ones, but not everyone has loved ones. And secondly, right. I mean, Marianne, you know this far more than I, it just, you know, at the end of life, I mean, depending on how the person goes, it can be round the clock. It becomes a. It can be a. a it can become a, a round the clock job. So not a, not only is the individual looking after the person, but the effect it has on the caregiver. Right. No. Right. Caregiving is a lot of work. A lot yes. of work. It, yes, it is. Yes. And you can't really leave the person unless there's somebody else to come in and and be there with them so yeah. you feel very homebound and kind of stuck and dependent on the kindness of other people to come in and give you some relief or and I know when I was taking care of my mom when she was dying it you know it was like a 24-hour thing because depending on how well she slept and then during the day, family showing up and the different dynamics of family members to have to navigate that. And I can remember mm -hmm. at one point getting just like really tired of just being really tired. You know? Well, yeah, it's listen, not not only physically but emotionally. It it's it's exhausting. It really is. Yeah. 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 <sighs> so. so for our third half, we're gonna talk about sort of what the Carters have offered the country in terms of learning how to die. President Carter's administration was the first to test the hospice model as a national program, a test that led to the Medicare hospice benefit available to all Americans today. Huh. By publicly sharing their choice for hospice support, the Carters were the object of public conversation about hospice myths and misinterpretations. The subsequent reports about President Carter's life and Mrs. Carter's death have documented that many benefits of hospice support. These benefits include paid and symptom management, increased satisfaction and quality of life, and reduced physical and emotional distress. Since President Carter first elected hospice support, his family has offered the public very real views of his current life. The reports include that President Carter continues to visit and have prayers with family and friends. He continues to follow world news, including expressing his displeasure with Alaskan drilling. And he continues to follow his favorite baseball team, the Atlanta Braves. We know he's enjoyed peanut butter ice cream, which is one of his favorite treats, and that he and Rosalind watched the 4th of July fireworks. When President Carter celebrated his 99th birthday on October 1st, we learned that he enjoyed receiving well wishes from everyday citizens and celebrities alike, 
And we saw the pictures of their advanced age and infirmity because they made no effort to hide their declining health. We know that Jimmy and Rosalind spent most of their time together, often sitting in their living room holding hands. Hospice care is designed to support exactly these types of activities and experiences. Hospice care teams work with patients to understand their goals and provide care that enables them to meet those goals to the best of their abilities. The Carters have not hidden their final months of life from the community. While many famous people guard their image and hide frailty, the Carters did not. We have seen them face their mortality together, and they have given us the opportunity to learn about the end of life and show the public that being in hospice is about life and eating favorite foods and holding hands, living your best life, even while dying. At 96, Mrs. Carter had an infection that had not improved with antibiotics. The day before she entered hospice in her home, the goals of care changed from trying to prolong life to making her last days more comfortable. After 77 years of marriage, Jimmy was with Rosalind right to the end as he sat beside her bed in his wheelchair. The Washington Post interviewed Chip Carter about their final hours together. My dad told her he loved her and thanked her for all the wonderful things she had done. Then he asked us to leave so that he could be alone with her, and the former president sat holding her hand. Then, late Saturday, AIDS helped Jimmy into his own hospital bed. It had been placed feet to feet with his wife's hospital bed so the Carters could be propped up and face each other and talk. But when the sun rose, Rosalind was no longer able to speak. At 2.10 p.m. Sunday, with Jimmy looking on from his bed, Rosalind died. After spending time around Rosalind after she took her last breath, her family moved to Jimmy's bedside. But a few minutes later, Jimmy Carter asked, as he had the day before, to be left alone with the woman he first met when he was three. Defying his extreme frailty, Jimmy attended Rosalind's funeral. Mr. and Mrs. Carter's daughter, Amy Carter, said at the service that her father was not able to speak to the attendees. So she read a love letter that he wrote to his wife while he served in the Navy more than 70 years ago. The letter was this. My darling, every time I have ever been away from you, I've been thrilled when I returned to discover just how wonderful you are. While I'm away, I try to convince myself that you really are not, could not be as sweet and beautiful as I remember. But when I see you, I fall in love with you all over again. Does that seem strange to you? It doesn't to me. Goodbye, darling. Until tomorrow, Jimmy. Wow. That is, wow. <laughs> That's beautiful. And I was really impressed that, you know, they showed him at the funeral. He's wheelchair bound. Right, yeah. Um, he's very thin. The, the son said they had to get a suit made for him because nothing fit him. And... um 
it was also almost shocking to see him wheeled in because he looked so sick. Right, yeah. And um, sort of with each event, each fall, I've, I've thought, he's not going to survive this, he's not going to survive this, but man, he survives through. And he's not afraid to go out in public and... Right, exactly, yeah. You know, be, be pale and, you know, not be able to talk and to just say, this is... This is me. This is how I am. This is yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not sort of the natural the, progression of life. Exactly. Not take the you know a, a Hollywood type attitude where oh, you got to look well, you got to you know the right clothing and everything. It's, it's like no, this is death. It's a part of life, and deal with it. Yeah. There's there's nothing to hide. I People die. Everyone dies. And I think it's a great. A great lesson, you know. Absolutely. That, that Absolutely. So much of it is hidden, yep. and the Carters didn't hide it. I like that. Yeah. So thank you, Jimmy, if you're listening. And please stay tuned for the continuing saga of Everyone Dies. And thank you all for listening. This is Charlie Navarrete, reminding you, gentle listeners, that when you include a single rose in a bouquet, it expresses enduring love for the deceased. Hmm. And I'm Marianne Masso. We'll see you next week. Remember, every day is a gift. This podcast does not provide medical advice. All discussion on this podcast, such as treatments, dosages, outcomes, charts, patient profiles, advice, messages, and any other discussion are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. Always seek the advice of your primary care practitioner or other qualified health providers with any questions that you may have regarding your health. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard from this podcast. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. Everyone Dies does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, practitioners, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned in this podcast. Reliance on any information provided in this podcast by persons appearing on this podcast at the invitation of Everyone Dies or by other members is solely at your own risk.